Welcome to the Dirtbag Chronicles. My name is Brian. I am your host, and we have the last episode of the first season, and we are kicking it off with Mr. J.D. DeLay. Welcome to the Dirtbag Chronicles. Hey, thanks for having me here, Absolutely. man. I appreciate it, Brian. Absolutely. So, J.D.'s got an amazing story, and uh, I am hoping that he doesn't hold back anything, okay? <laughs> and we're going to ask you some questions. We're going to try to dig down on some of that information, if you don't mind sharing that. And I'll talk and about it. anything, but I'm not trying to get you canceled, homeboy. You All know right. what I'm saying? I appreciate it, bro. I appreciate it. All right. So, J.D., tell us a little bit uh, about who you are and, and where you come from. All right. So, um, you know, part of the reason that I'm here today is uh, because I just spoke at a peer support conference here in Arkansas, out in Little Rock. And I got to meet Brian, man, and uh, we really clicked and connected in a major way. Um, I was the keynote speaker, the, the final keynote speaker for the conference today. Um, and it's just been a blessing to be here in Arkansas. Um, I am a 20 year uh, addict and career criminal who now is a recovery coach, a peer support recovery specialist, and a smart recovery facilitator. Um, and we're gonna get into uh, how one became the other here. Um, but you know, what really happened was when I was six years old, somebody molested me, somebody, uh, in, in my parents' church molested me and it sent me down a different road than I probably would have gone down if that hadn't been done to me. So, um, I have some fairly large social media platforms and we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about child predators. We talk a lot about addiction and we talk a lot about recovery. We also talk a lot about prison because that's a part of my story too, Brian. Yeah. Awesome, man. I'm really excited to hear some more of those details. Now, you said that <clears throat> it started with uh, uh, when you were six being molested. How long did that go on? Well, it, it really only went on for a very short period of time. Okay. Um, but, you know, when you're six years old, uh, you're not really in a place where you're able to process what's being done to you. Yeah. And I grew up in a very religious home, you know, okay. and this dude was a part of the church. And especially particularly in the 80s, uh, the early 80s, um, you know, and it's still really rampant right now, but there's a huge stigma uh, against the LGBTQ community. Yeah, there is. Um, and, you know, they, they want to tell you that if you are born uh, and you're not this one type of way that you're going to hell for it. Yeah. So, you know, I was I just interpreted what this man, this grown man did to me as a six year old child. Yeah. That I was going to hell for that. Yeah. And I knew that my parents always impressed upon me how important it was that we all go to heaven. So I thought that I wasn't going to go to heaven with them and I didn't want to break their hearts. I didn't talk about it. Yeah. I never talked about it. Now, the way that my parents would have interpreted it would have been completely different. And I probably would have gone down a much healthier road had I been honest with them because I have amazing parents. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I kept it inside and that secret kept me sick for a really long time. Right. And yeah, about six years old, you can't really... You don't really know the truth about much. I mean, no. you know what the truth is inside your gut. I I assume because every human kind of knows that kind of it's a like a God given ability to to have that intuition, but to carry that around. How long did you carry that around? So I didn't really fully cognitively accept that it actually happened to me until I was in my mid twenties, bro. And um, you know, like I was actually at a treatment center. Um, and I finally sobered up for the first time in a really long time, Yeah, really long time. And I started getting like flashes of this and I started having anxiety attacks. And, you know, I really feel like my substance use was covering up a lot of my PTSD symptoms yeah. for years and years and years. And when I started stripping away the substance use, 
all of this stuff came flooding in. And yeah. um, I remember I was in the kitchen because I was on dish duty. We we ran that thing like a military type of operation, this treatment yeah. center that I was in um, in Eugene, Oregon, uh, the Carlton House. Shout out to Carlton House. Um, and the the clashing of the pans sent me into a, a spiraling panic attack. And I went back to my room and I actually climbed in the closet. A grown ass man yeah. climbing in a closet, shutting the door. And I was rocking back and forth with my head in my hands, trying to breathe. And I couldn't catch my breath. And I don't know how long it took them to find me. But when they did, I was almost catatonic. And they had to have a counselor come in from the outside, like an actual licensed therapist, come talk to me. And they, they spent a while talking me out of there. Um, and that was when I fully cognitively understood and realized what had happened to me as a child. And I accepted that it happened to me as a child. Um, and I'd love to say that I was able to process it and work through that and stop using it as an excuse to numb out and to run away from it and to have terrible behaviors. But it really took me until I was about 40 years old to be able to place that, accept that it happened, forgive myself. Yeah. Because for some reason, I, I internalized it, man. I beat the hell out of yeah. myself for what that man did to me as a child. So I had to forgive myself. <clears throat> and like, I don't have to forgive him. Yeah. But I have to accept that it happened. It wasn't okay. And I have to be able to let it go because as it was explained to me, and it's really vital and true until you do that work of, of accepting that it happened and letting it go, that person holds a part of you. That person lives inside of you. And that's not somebody that I want to live inside my head and inside my heart and inside my spirit. Once I was able to actually get past that, that was one of the most freeing things that I've done for myself. That was the first step towards loving myself. That's amazing. That's amazing. That self-love, uh, it brings that self-worth and that confidence and that understanding. And, you know, I think <clears throat> with me, I also went through something similar like that. Uh, but it was like I was searching for all this other shit out here to give me that love when it was myself that needed to love me the whole time. One thousand percent. Yeah. One thousand percent, bro. Yeah. And like honestly, like I don't I don't drink to get drunk. I drink to kill myself. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, you know, every time I, I would start to drink, um, I would get to a point where I was incapacitated and somebody would be like, Hey homeboy, you know, come come smell my key in the bathroom. Right. Um, and you know, that just quickly devolved, bro, because uh I I one thing I know about myself, I don't like Yayo. Yeah. Yayo doesn't do it for me. Right. I, I'm not in middle school no more, bro. I don't need to get lifted for 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes. I want that high speed chicken feed. That's going to get me going for about three days straight. Yeah. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it just all devolves so quickly for me. Um, so, you know, now that I finally feel at peace with myself, bro, like I don't crave substances anymore. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm always going to have little cravings here and there. Right. But like every single time I get past one of those cravings, I get bigger. And those cravings get smaller. And I know that they come in waves. I know it's going to be temporary. Yeah. Uh, so I've been able to fortify myself through the experience of going through a lot of trauma in recovery that, that making it through has shown me that, like, I don't ever have to go back to that, bro. I love that. I love that you have found that, about, found that out about yourself and that you can actually look back and say, okay, this is why I was doing the things that I was doing. And this is how I recover. Cause I don't think if we don't know the problem, the root problem, we can't really recover from it. 100%. And like, I want to just specify really quick that like what, 
was done to me when I was six years old was horrible. It wasn't okay. But the way that I used it as a permission statement and not to take accountability for my own actions till I was 40 years old, that wasn't okay. And that was on me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I needed to do that work when we're children, we're not responsible for our trauma. But as I became an adult, it was my job to make sure that my trauma wasn't making me walking damage for the community around me, for the people that loved me. Right. And I, I went way <clears throat> off the deep end for way too long. And I take accountability for that, man. Right. I dropped the ball on that. And now that's why I try to do as much work as I can to help others and to show others the way out, because it's something that took me way too long and, and used up way too much of my own life and caused way too much damage to others for me to be able to get it. Yeah. And that's good. That's good. Now. So we're, so let's go back to the, the trauma. He's six years old, that horrible traumatic event happened. You lost the trust in the, in the church. You're afraid to tell your parents. You thought the judgment of God was coming on you. You were going to hell. Yeah. And so with all of that weighing, because from having a similar experience, I know what kind of weight that brings. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is one of the main reasons that you went to substance abuse uh, and abused those those narcotics and, and all the drugs and alcohol and the sex and everything? Or do you think that you were born with that disease? Well, let me put it like this, like for myself. I believe there can be a lot of attributing factors to somebody who has substance use disorder, but I also believe that substance use disorder is like to a vast majority, a trauma based mental disorder. I think yeah. that trauma really has a lot to play in somebody going down the road of substance use yeah. disorder. And so what happened to me was, and <clears throat> you know, substance use disorder is only one of many trauma based disorders. Like a lot of people will have a trauma and it's their root trauma. And so they'll take it to gambling. Yeah. And they'll take gambling to a devastating, life-changing, uh, you know, level. There's a lot of people who take sexual addiction to a really damaging life, uh, you know, self-destructive level. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different stuff that people can do. You know, a lot of people try to take back the control that they feel they lost through trauma, mm -hmm. through eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Like my wife has an eating disorder because she, she was, has a lot of trauma. She has PTSD on a lot of different levels, and she tries to take back control by not putting food in her body because it's the one thing she had control over when she was being abused as a child and as an adult yeah you know um but for me i, I started acting out uh when i was you know six years old I, I started acting out in different behaviors because if we have something like that happen to us and we don't have a healthy outlet for it we mm -hmm. don't start attention seeking through other things yeah you absolutely. know just subconsciously it's just how it is with kids especially yeah. rambunctious you know young boys and so i got diagnosed with ADHD and, and do I believe I'm ADHD? One hundred. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, like, listen yeah. to me talk, bro. I'm, yeah. I'm the poster child for a little freckled ADHD bastards. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Across the whole world. I'm one of y'all. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it's not just Irish. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, uh, I, my parents took me to a doctor and the doctor was like, okay, so he's ADHD cause he acting like this. Uh, and he probably wasn't wrong, but you know, their solution for it was to give me amphetamines. Yeah. And they did, bro. You know, they gave me uh, Ritalin. They gave me Siler. They gave me Adderall. Uh, we cycled me through these these uh, prescriptions. I didn't like them. At what age were you when you started getting those prescriptions? Uh, like six, 
six, seven years old. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, and I wasn't on them for the longest time, but what I think happened is it kind of wired my brain to have an affinity for that vroom, vroom, vroom. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So later on in life, um, you know, and, and I cycled through all the hippie drugs, bro, as I like to call mm-hmm. it. Like I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed smoking. I enjoyed tripping. You know what I'm saying? I enjoyed rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, throughout my teenage years and, and my, my beginning of my twenties, that's all that I did. And, and I didn't like people that did that white girl, bro. Yeah. If you were doing that white girl, it sure as hell wasn't going to be around me. You know what right. I'm saying? Until one night I actually tried it. Yeah. And it was just, Oh, ooh, damn. Ooh. This is okay. Yeah. I'm going to devote my entire personality <laughs> yeah. and life to this for the next 20 years. Yeah. Which is exactly what happened, yeah. bro. It's like, you know, and, and anybody who hasn't done it doesn't really understand, but anybody who has, it's like getting stuck in that bathroom for 20 years, you know? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. It, it just, it absolutely took over. And, you know, I've done every type of addictive substance that you can do. All the bad ones. All the bad ones. Um, You know, some on purpose, a couple inadvertently. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I've never gone out and been like, I'm going to do Fent. Yeah. But I know that I've had stuff that was laced with Oh, Fent. absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Um, And nothing ever caught me like that go fast bro yeah that tina got that hook in me yeah um, same here so and, same and here. you know i i could i could do h and be like oh man i mean uh that felt good but i'm not doing that again <clears throat> yeah but if i in any way shape form or method put amphetamines into my body i will not stop until they put me in cuffs and put me in a cell where i cannot access it again yeah yeah, you you know, whenever I got arrested this last time, I had been up for a couple couple days, maybe a week, and uh, I had just gotten good, got feeling good. And when they pulled me pulled us over, they put me in the back of the cop car, and I was just like, oh, thank God. you know, it was just like, and I went right to sleep. It was just like, you know, it's over. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I would go on a run for so long. And then hoping that I don't get arrested, but like deep down, like, fuck, man, I'm ready for this shit to be over with. And then they put the handcuffs on, on me, put me in the back of the car, and I'm right to sleep. I'm just like, get me a brown bag lunch at the, at the jail, put me back in my mat, let me sleep for two weeks. You know, it was like relief after going on that long run. The night that I got busted, uh, that sent me to prison, I was with my co-defendant. We'd been on multiple cases before. He's my dog, bro. Yeah. He, he was my homeboy. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, we took cases for each other. Yeah. Like, we not only did we not tell on each other, like, we would we would take time for each other. This is how close we were. That was my dude. You wow. know what I'm saying? Like, we were 21 as fuh. And yeah. uh, so we were, we were getting ready to leave, and his girlfriend goes, I got a bad feeling. I don't think you guys should go out tonight. And I looked at her and I'm like, don't worry. I got him. I'll take care of baby boy for you. We going to sell up together in that prison. You know what I'm saying? We got this. Don't trip, baby girl. And he started laughing and he's like, yeah, we're probably going to prison tonight. It was like we knew. Yeah. But we were still going to go out and steal cars anyway. We went out and we stole us a Honda Del Sol, which was the worst decision that we ever made. Like, I've made a lot of bad decisions, dog. Like, I'm. You line up all my bad decisions, bro. You you got like a whole series of movies longer than yeah. the Fast and the Furious, which should have <laughs> ended like eight movies ago. Yeah, but, uh, at least this stealing a Honda Del Sol was in my worst of decisions because uh, we had never driven one before. We knew it was the replacement for the Prelude, and we thought that it would have some type of push to it, and it did not have nothing underneath that hood. So when we got in a high speed chase, we were cooked from the beginning, and we liked high speed chases. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
if we got in a high speed chase, you know, I'm not, I'm nine out of 11 winning high speed chases. Yeah. Um, it, there's nothing like being on that go fast and hitting every red light you can being in a, going down a one way, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like 70, 90 miles per hour, you know, just getting it, bro, with multiple arresting agencies behind you. Um, and they, they, they were able because we were in such a slow ass car that had nothing in there, bro. <laughs> they got us pinned to where we had to go on the freeway. And then all they got to do is just radio up, bro. You yep. can beat, you can beat the cars, bro. Can't beat that you can bird beat, radio. You cannot beat that radio dog. That's what people don't understand. Yeah. So the radio is fast. We, we're going up and we got all these cop cars behind us. And it was actually my co-defendant who was driving. Um, and so I had a big old bag and I'm like, I'm a, I'm a burn all this before we go to prison dog. And he's like, smoke it while you got it, bro. And uh, I've got a propane torch, one of them big old propane torches yeah. and uh, my bubble. And I've got my hat down sideways real low. Cause they driving on the side of us, bro. I'm like waving at these police, waving a pipe at the police going, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to get it all in. And uh, up ahead of us, he's like, you see that they putting out stop sticks. And he swerves around it, almost hits the dude putting out stop sticks. Top car behind us hits him and rolls the car. Oh no. So it's like behind us. It looks like a movie behind us. This cop car's all boom. Yeah. Like, oh damn. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, we need to hit an exit. So he hits that next exit and the next exit turns out to be a KOA campground. Uh, And so we got maybe 300 feet worth of gravel road until the road runs out into blackberry bushes. He's like, I'm going to bank it as far as I can into these blackberry bushes. Be ready to get out and climb through these blackberries. Uh, and he does, he banks it, but we hit a telephone pole with my side of the car and it mashes the door. Like the window explodes in on me and, uh, he jumps out and I have to climb over the seat and climb out that, that driver's side door. And, you know, I thought I was a gangster at the time. So I had the the big baggy pants. I had the saggy pants. I had the shoes that weren't laced tight. You know what I'm saying? Cause (laughs) I thought, I thought I was somebody dog, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I start going, and within 10 yards, bro, I ain't got pants on my body no more than blackberries. The yeah. thorns just rip my pants and shoes off, and I'm crawling as fast as I can through this stuff with no pants and no shoes. It's tearing me up, yeah. bro. It's just tearing the skin off my body. And I somehow got in front of my dude. Um, and he was behind me, and then I hear the dog, and oh, I shit. hear him start to scream, Yeah. Uh, and the dog got him and bit him. And so that just made me go faster. You know what faster, I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I put on the <laughs> put on the gas on that, and uh, it was late at night, and it was dark, and there wasn't any lights, so I couldn't even see where I was going. All of a sudden, I fell into this little ravine into a little river, swam across this little river, and hit the freeway again on foot. Got across all four lanes of this freeway, and went up the hill a little bit, and dug myself a hole in these blackberry bushes, and just hid out, bro. And I could see all the cop cars. I could see him put my my co-defendant into the car. They had my pants with my wallet in it, and they had a bullhorn, and they were out there yelling my name. Mr. DeLay, this is now a search and rescue mission. Come out. You're going to die. And I'm like up there catching hypothermia. It is yeah. cold in Oregon, bro, and I'm yeah, soaking wet. Um, and I just fell asleep, bro. I overamped, and I fell asleep. And uh, I woke up, and I'm bleeding like profusely and i got hypothermia on bright blue i ain't got no pants on uh i got no shoes on and i went out and tried to hitchhike and i'm literally getting in front of cars on the freeway going please please stop oh my god 
and nobody stopped, bro, because I was a psycho <laughs> and I was covered in mud and blood. Yeah. Put and the meaning into blue. blue balls, didn't you? Hell yeah, dog. <laughs> yeah, but you know what they did do for me? They called the police. Oh, the of police. Course. They came and got me and took me in. And uh, I was <clears throat> sitting in there pulling thorns out of my manhood. Oh, my God. And my legs and my butt cheeks uh, <laughs> for about three days. And then they just they released me, bro, because it's one in, one out at that county jail. So whoever's at the bottom of the totem pole of risk to the community they they have like an actual uh dudes who sit in there and go well you know i think he's less risk than this person so if you ain't on violent crimes you ain't gonna stay in that oh county jail they're gonna kick you spit you right back out on the streets <laughs> what county is that lane county oregon oh wow! now what they're doing now is they don't even prosecute stolen cars you steal a car they ain't even prosecuting you they're- so do you think that gives a whole open playing field to people stealing cars one thousand yeah absolutely. one thousand it's a green light bro but they they have so much going on there it's the wild west yeah it's like people don't understand the west coast it really is the wild wild west out there they're really getting it bro like they they don't got room for somebody who stole a hondo when they got you know 50 people involved in shootouts right and stuff going on you know they take gun charge guns violence pretty serious and and they take any person-to-person crime so like say me and you are at a bar and you're like, I don't like your face. And I'm like, that's fair, but I still want to punch you in yours. And we mutually agree. We want to fight. Yeah. We go outside, we fight and a cop sees it. We both get in what's called a measure 11 and a measure 11 is 70 months, mandatory minimum. Uh, and you're doing day for day. Oh, now they can instantly bump that up. If there's visible marks or any serious damage, they can bump that to a 90 months. They can enhance that to 90 months. And it don't matter if you want to press charges. Don't matter if I want to press charges. The state will press charges on that. Yeah. So they take person to person crimes really seriously. I was in prison with the dude who uh, had 70 months. He was actually on leave and he went outside to like smoke a joint. He was on on uh, it was Christmas time and uh, he was with his family and uh, three people tried to rob him and one of them had a knife and he ended up getting that knife and beating the hell out of all like two of them one of them ran away he stabbed two of them up uh and it was all in self-defense and he caught 70 months even though it was three on one with a knife because he didn't just roll over and let him rob him dude was on leave bro he's 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 a marine yeah you know what i'm saying like we trained him to do this bro we trained him to do this and he ran into an enemy that was after him and he just did what he was trained to do bro like a reflex was he intoxicated when it happened i mean he was smoking a joint but you know what i'm saying like what's that bro yeah what's that that ain't nothing yeah uh and you know so he ended up with 70 months in prison he was lucky he didn't (sighs) catch the whole 90 that's uh or catch a a higher charge than just you know the assault they they, he kind of got the bless i think he pled out to 70 months wow that was their plea bargain um but yeah they take that the violent crimes real serious out there what they don't take serious out there is if you if you got a sexual crime you hurt a child if you rape a woman uh you'll be in and out in like a day so like that's so sad the running joke in prison is uh you know would i would have been out i would have been out you know before i got in if i had a skin beef so that's that's what the west coast needs to work on honestly is uh hammering people that are sex offenders yeah and uh you know getting more treatment to people who have drug related crimes yeah and like come on man like we should have some sort of castle law some sort of self-defense law some yeah. sort of stand your ground law 
Yeah. Like, I mean. But they don't like, have any of that. They don't got none of it, bro. That's insane. Like, self-defense isn't really a <clears throat> thing out there. Yeah. Like, you, you'd probably have to go to court and fight it, and who knows what would happen if someone was inside your house. If somebody breaks into your house uh, and, and, you know, you beat the hell out of them, you might have to figure that out in court, bro. It just depends on the cop if they want to push the issue or not. Wow. It's kind of insanity. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's one thing I miss about Florida. Florida, uh, they'll they'll let you get your licks in if somebody violates your rights or yeah. violates your house or touches your kid. Yeah. Uh, the the sheriff there, Michael Chitwood, there was a dude that was in my own apartment complex there, who he came home and the babysitter was was doing stuff to his kid, and he put he put this kid into a coma, bro. This dude that was doing that to his kid put him into a coma. Called the cops and said. Y'all better bring an ambulance. You might even need a morgue. Uh, this dude was doing stuff to my kid. I'm ready to go back to prison. Let's go. And this dude had a long rap sheet. You know what I'm saying? But he yeah. hadn't been to prison in a long time. And uh, the the sheriff there, Mike Chitwood, actually did a press conference uh, and said, hey, uh, just so you know, we're not prosecuting this dude. If you're a dad out there and you find somebody hurting your kid, green light, green light. And if you're thinking about doing somebody to, something to somebody's kid, just remember this. We're not we're not going to hold them accountable in Volusia County for whatever they do to you. Yeah. You hurt a kid, you open that door, we wish you the worst. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh I want to get back to your uh your addiction though. When when how what age were you when you noticed that you were getting involved with your addiction? Or how old were you when you first started dabbling in your addiction besides the the medicine that you were prescribed? So, I mean, the hippie drugs, like, you know, 14, 15 years old, okay. I started smoking weed. Um, you know, I tried drinking a couple times. I didn't like it because I had PTSD already and it made me feel out of control. Yeah. And I've always liked to be hyper aware. I, I went deep into alcoholism later in life. Yeah. But, um, you know. Uh, started smoking weed and then I really liked the trippy drugs, bro. I really liked acid, really liked mushrooms. I really liked DMT. Yeah. Um, I, to this day, you cannot tell me that DMT is a drug. DMT is, is a, is an experience. DMT is a teacher. Um, I will, I will stand on that regardless of how deep into recovery I am. I feel like the experiences that I had with DMT gave me a spiritual awakening that were absolutely essential to my my development as a human being. Um, but it was when I was 23 that, uh, I I met that white girl. Um, and that's when I was full tilt, all gas, no brakes with it. Um, and I still thought that I had it under control. And I remember the distinct moment that it clicked with me that I was not behind the steering wheel of my life anymore. I knew that I had a UA with my PO coming up in three days and i was like okay i need to stop i have this big old bag i need to put it down if i make it through three days and i make it through this ua i'm gonna be cool if not i'm going to prison all i have to do is not smoke for three days you know what i'm saying and i I couldn't do it so i was like okay two days i'll drink a lot of water and you know i just kept bargaining yeah just kept bargaining you know i could drink enough water i could beat this all the way down to where i'm sitting in my car in the parking lot at the PO's office and I'm smoking as much as I possibly can because I figure if I'm going to prison, I want to go in as zooted as possible. Yeah. So I'm literally out in the PO's parking lot 
with all these POs walking in and out, all the clients walking in and out, actual sheriffs walking in and out. And I'm hitting that thing as hard as I can, duck down low. And I, I remember at that point, I was, I was, I literally, I was crying in my car, get crying, hitting a, hitting a, a bulb in right. the car. Like, how stupid is that? Because you bro? can't stop. I, I, I had no control. Yeah. I had no control. And I knew that I'd put myself in this position where I wasn't in charge anymore. These little bags of powder or shards had that much control over my life as a man. And like, like I was still a prideful human being. But at this point, this is where I realized that, like, I, I wasn't shit, bro. I was this, I was this, these little baggies slave. Yeah. These little baggies, I was their bitch. I was yeah. their punk, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you've been to prison, you know what those words mean. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was yeah. a punk to these little tiny bags yeah. of inanimate objects, bro. Like, they owned me. These chemicals were my master, and I was their slave. And there wasn't shit that I could do about it. And like, I went in and uh, honestly, I cannot tell you why my, my PO didn't UA me that day, oh my. but he didn't, he didn't UA me that day, dog. <laughs> and, um, you know, he, I, he had to have known, bro. Had to have known. Had to have known, yeah. bro. Like my eyeballs were darting. Right. You know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, he didn't UA me that day. I'm sure um, he had no weight on you either. No, no, I didn't take any weight in. Yeah, no, I'm talking about like oh, body weight. Oh, weight on me, body weight? No, yeah. bro, are you yeah. kidding me? I was a rotisserie chicken from yeah. Safeway. I was <laughs> count to bacula. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, I was obvious, bro. Yeah. I thought I was slick, but I was yeah. obvious. See, that's the, like, that's the back, disease, too. It's like, oh, no, nobody knows. You know, like, er, I, nobody knows. even knows I'm high. If you're out there and you're using right now, I promise yeah, you, they know. everybody knows. They, they know. Even the shadow people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the people in the bushes. Yeah, so, you know, like, um, you know, I thought that I lucked out at that point in time, but, like, honestly, like, anything that would have made me hit my bottom any sooner, and, like, honestly, incarceration has never been my biggest bottom, bro. Like, my biggest bottom, uh, there was a day that I left my mother crying in a hotel room parking lot. One of my homies was so concerned about me, and he knew that I was getting so far out there, and he did math with me, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He was one of my <clears throat> dealers. Yeah. But he was so concerned about me, he hit my mama up and told my mama where I was at. He's like, he's going to die or he's going to kill someone. You need to go collect your child. Yeah. And she showed up in the parking lot, waited for hours. And I walk up in the parking lot with uh, two 12-inch speakers in a box with an amp with the wires dangling that I had just stolen out of a car. Walk up in the parking lot all, yeah, got yeah. me a nice box. This is dope. <laughs> and um, I hear my mom's voice. And... uh. She said, son, and I turn around and she's like, she's already crying. She's like, can't do this anymore. And if you, if you keep doing this, I can't be in your life the same way anymore. I can't support you in this. And I need you. I need you in my life. I need you to choose life. She's like, I have a bed at a treatment center right now. And I'm begging you, please come with me. And I looked at her and I said, I love you with all my heart, mama, but I got to go. I, I, I can't be standing out here with this thing like this. I'm on front street. I love you. I'll call you some other time. I let my mother crying in a hotel parking lot. And I got back up to the room and there was like three or four girls up there, you know, and everything was popping up there and everything. And I went in the bathroom and I, I wept, bro. I wept because I knew what I just did to my mother on the inside. Yeah. And I love my mama, but I wasn't in control. Yeah. I was not in control, man. I need cuffs to stop me. Yeah. You know, cuffs are not my bottom. But I need them because I, I have to have the control taken away from me. I have to be forced into submission. Yeah. 
so that was one of the lowest points in my life. And, you know, it wasn't long after that, that I actually, um, I crashed a stolen car cause I fell asleep behind the wheel. Um, I just been out, there was a dude named toothless bill that had raped a girl that I was seeing and I was driving around, uh, looking for him in a stolen car with a pistol. And I thought I saw him, but I've been up for so long, bro. I don't know who the fuck I shot. at. Right. But I, I don't think it was Toothless Bill. I was shooting out. The, I shot the passenger side window out yeah. with a dude in the passenger seat. He's like, what the fuck, bro? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I ended up like, he got out, bro. Um, and I don't even know if anybody was there that I was shooting at because I'd been up for so long. And I drove back. I was driving to my friend's house and uh, I was almost there. And I passed out behind the wheel and I woke up at impact and I smashed into a truck and uh, I went through the, went through the airbag and uh, hit the steering wheel real hard. And uh, I realized what was going on. I was in a daze. And then the dude started who owned the truck started coming out of the house and I grabbed my pistol in my backpack and I got out like all beat up, like slouched over. And he was like, where are you going? And I pointed it at him and I said, do you want to die old man? And he went right back in his house and uh, I got as fast and as far away as I could on foot and I hopped a couple fences and I got in a tool shed in somebody's backyard and I, I rolled up into a ball and I fell asleep and I woke up. I don't know how long later, but like the car was gone. His truck was gone. Yeah. You know, all the ambulances were gone and every, the, the cop <clears throat> cars were gone and everything. The tow trucks were gone. And I went over to my friend's house I was trying to get to, and I crawled in his window. Uh, he, he didn't answer, and I, the window or the door, I, I crawled in, landed on top of him and his girlfriend in bed. I didn't think they were home, but, you know, I knew I could go there. And uh, he's like, what the fuck? I'm like, bro, I need to use your phone. Called my mama, and I said, mom, can you still get me that bed at rehab? And she was like, yeah, yeah, I can. And so uh, I went to treatment that day, uh, and I didn't make it very long, bro. Was that your first time, like, going to treatment? Yeah. And, and Feeling like, okay, I need some help. That was my, yeah, that was absolutely my first time. First moment of understanding that you're powerless. It was my first time in treatment of my own volition. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I'd yeah. had a state mandated this and a state mandated that. Um, and it was my first time of my own volition. And they let me in. And then, you know, there was another time that I went back to that same exact place because it's the only place for men in Eugene, Oregon. And I had all of my stuff, all my earthly possessions, bro, and some backpacks. Yeah. Some smelly ass, like smelling like, you know, smelling like cat litter ass, methy ass clothes. Yeah. Um, Thinking and I, you look I, good. I went and sat down <laughs> and I just slumped down in a chair in the, in the, in the reception area. And the receptionist is like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm sitting here until you guys either give me a bed or y'all call the cops and have me arrested for trespassing. Cause if I go back out them doors, I'm going to die yeah. and I'm scared right now. And she's like, that's not how any of this works. And I, I, I knew one of the counselors there because I used to use with him. Yeah. And I saw him change his life. And I was like, call <clears throat> Ginnick Michael Chavez and tell him that J.D. DeLay is here right now and have him come out here and speak to me. And she's like, he's not even on shift. He don't get here for like six more hours. I said, oh, I'm going to wait. And uh, he eventually came in and he's like, bro, like this isn't really how this works. And I said, Ginnick, I'm going to die, bro. Like I'm going to die. I'm going to die today. Like, I'm not going to make it another couple hours right. out there. Like, I'm doing real bad. Like, situations I'll never speak about on social media. Cleaning for your life. But, yeah, yeah like, I, was, I had a lot going on, yeah. and it was really bad. And he, uh, he went, came back about an hour later, and he was like, all right, look, man, we don't have a bed. We'll put you on a cot in the laundry room until a bed opens up. And uh, 
I was like, sold, done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, y'all, y'all want to strip search me? What do we need to do? Let's get yeah. it. I'll do literally anything you say. And, uh, I, you know, I went and slept on that cot. And the next day, a bed opened up. And they put me directly into that bed. That's awesome. And uh, I actually made it like 30 days that time. And they told me they wanted me for 90. And uh, I had this inclination and idea that I had it. Yeah. So I said the most toxic words I'll ever say to myself. I got, I got this. this. Don't worry about it. I got this. Yeah. If I ever say I got this, somebody tie me up. Tie me duct tape me, bro. Tape, you you know, get the zip ties. The yeah, put me somewhere because I yeah. promise you I do not got it if I say I got this. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. So how old were you when you made that decision to to sit there and plead for your life at that treatment center? God, I must have been... Um, well, it was after I, I it was after I had actually gone to prison. Um, so I was probably thirty two. Okay. Probably okay. thirty two years old. Yeah, so that so that's when it really started that you were trying to make a change. Yeah. But you under now you can look back and understand that the addiction was so strong that it just kept manifesting back into your life. I needed a lot more um than just a 30 day stay and i think that most people who are genuinely dealing and struggling with substance use disorder need more than a 30 day stay they need more than a 90 day stay yeah. you know what i'm saying um you know for me personally it it generally usually takes incarceration for a period of time yeah for me um and then i need something when i get out yeah um you know treatment programs are amazing but i don't think that 30 to 90 days is enough to break 20 years worth of habits yeah dog you know what i'm saying like yeah. it's it's just not so you know like for me like when i have people that need recommendations um you know i recommend 100 percent recommend treatment centers if they can get them but they have to follow up with sober living yeah because you need to build a community within your own community where you're gonna live a lot of the time when we refer people to treatment centers we refer them out of county yeah you know and sometimes even out of state you need people where you live dog you need people that you are going to be seeing in them same rooms when you go to meetings, whatever type of pathway you take, yeah. you need a community. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Whether that be one of the, one of the 12 steps, whether that be celebrate, whether that be smart, wherever, whatever it is, you need people in your own community that are going to hold you accountable. You need people that are going to build you. You need people that are going to support you. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like one of the first sponsors that I had that said some wild stuff to me, I asked him to be my sponsor. He said, I don't know. I said, it mustered all my courage for me to come ask you to be my sponsor, and you're going to tell me you don't know whether you'll sponsor me or not? He's like, no, I don't know you like that yet. He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, you got some cable at your house? I said, yeah, I'm at a sober house. We got some cable. He said, I want you to go home and watch Animal Planet. What the f***? You want me to watch Animal Planet? He said, when you watch enough Animal Planet to figure out what I want you to know, you call me. And I was like, just desperate enough to go home and do this. I'm watching Animal Planet, and I'm like, cheetahs are fast. Gazelles are slow. Word than cheetahs. Like, what the? What are we doing here, man? Yeah. <laughs> Finally, I got it, bro, because I watched enough of it to understand that whenever somebody went away from the pack, that's when the predators attacked. Oh, that's good. And I called him and I'm like, look, I don't know if this is what you're trying to get out of me. And personally, I'm real tired of watching Animal Planet uh you surly son bitch but uh is it this is it that if we stay in the middle of the pack we're gonna stay safe because the predators get us when we walk away and he said i'll sponsor you but you better call me every day stupid 
And I was like, <laughs> okay. And that, that dude got me through okay. for a while. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And um, he really got me through for a while. Uh, I had multiple sponsors that relapsed, um, which is really scary for somebody who's in early recovery. Yeah, who's, uh, I can imagine. Headed and hard to deal with is me. You know, now uh, I keep multiple sponsors. I have a sponsor in uh, both the two different 12 steps that okay. I work um, because I'm extra. And I don't hardly never have to call him. I, I hardly okay. don't ever hardly never have to call him. But when I do, I really need to call him. Yeah. And if I can't get one, I'm going to yeah. get the other. And, you know, I purposefully went both 12 step pathways so that I would be able to be somebody who could walk somebody through whatever pathway felt the best to them yeah out of the two 12 steps and then i found smart recovery and smart recovery is my absolute jam bro okay smart recovery because uh i was an atheist for a long time i was a devout atheist because we talked earlier about how i felt that separation from the church because i thought that what happened to me yeah meant that i wasn't going to go to heaven so i became real angry bro yeah if there was a god i wanted the ones bro right he better come and he better have some mean hand right. game because i had it for him you know <laughs> what i'm saying and i was right. so angry and volatile and like i just denied that there was any god and like that made it really hard for the 12-step programs to work for me yeah and i felt like i feel like if somebody had been able to come at me with smart recovery you know which it doesn't rely on any faith or any higher power but instead relies on evidence-based you know psychology and uh you know the neuroscience of the brain and cognitive behavioral therapy and if somebody would have come at me with that when i was an atheist maybe it would have saved me going out a yeah. half a dozen times dog yeah. and so when i found smart recovery even though i had come to terms with with god even though i had found a relationship not a religion yeah because all the way every day fuck religion in the neck for yeah. me it just yeah. you know not to offend or piss anybody off no I'm the same but way. i don't got nothing for religion what i have is a personal relationship with a god that cares about me it's yeah. a loving god that, that wants to see us all do better and wants us to connect and wants us to help each other. Um, but you know, I had that when I found smart recovery, but I know that there are still people out there who don't have that. And if they don't have that, they still deserve the same recovery that each and every one of us who walks a faith-based yeah. program does. Yeah. And I wanted to be able to walk them through that because every single pathway is valid. I don't care if it's Matt. I don't care if it's cannabis. I don't care if, if, if you are in uh, a, a Wiccan pathway, if you're in a church of Satan, I don't care, bro. I want you to do the best that you could possibly yeah. do. Wherever they can find that connection. Because that's, yeah. that's what it is. Like, <clears throat> through my, my experience with addiction, I saw it after connection. Whether that was connection through sex, whether that was connection through gambling, whether that was connection through drugs, alcohol, uh, porn, what, whatever it was, a, a dog, a pet, you know, a friend, uh, the, the drug dealer, what, whatever it was, I was always seeking these false connections. And when I, when I, when I got locked up and went to prison the second time, what I was able to do was able to forget everything that I thought I knew. And I was able to dig down and ask myself the important questions who am I? So what that did, being asked that question, started to develop a certain connection with myself and my higher power. And once that got in there, now that's my biggest fear of relapse. If I were to relapse, that's what I'm afraid of relapsing for is because I will lose that connection with myself and my higher power. 
let me tell you a quick story, bro. I'm going to run this real quick. So I really, I've been a skateboarder my entire life. And now that uh, I'm shaped like an upside down pair instead of a regular pair, because I do the gym a whole lot, like, you know, the physical aspect is a huge part of my recovery. Mm -hmm. I'm top heavy, so I, I'm not doing trick boarding anymore, but I bought myself an electric skateboard. One of the Meepos that okay. goes 35 miles an hour. I'm going down a bridge in Port Orange, Florida. Somebody sideswipes me on this thing and I'm already going like I'm going down the bridge. So I'm going faster than 35 and they knock me off this thing, bro. And it, it, cheese grates my leg oh my and it, it jams up my back so i have to be rushed to the emergency room and i'm screaming and, and they're like yo you, we need to give you something for this pain and i'm yelling at them like full stop like being mean as shit to these people yelling at them i don't do narcotics i'm in recovery get away <laughs> from me you son of a bitch yeah right and they're like well uh you know, we're gonna leave you in this room because you're being a whole asshole yeah. And uh, they're like, you really need to figure out what we're going to do because we're giving you some pain management or we're going to tell you to fuck off and get out of our emergency room. <clears throat> so I call my sponsor and I'm yelling through the phone. I'm like, they're trying to give me narcotics. He's like, well, what happened to you? I'm like, I'm all fucked up. He's like, well, dummy, follow medical advice. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not the answer I want. And I hang <laughs> up on him all pissed off and I call the manager of the sober house. I'm like, Carl. They're trying to give me narcotics for my pain and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, bro, you at a hospital, you do what they say, stupid. Yeah. And so I hang up and I'm like, all right, just give I me guess, something for just, the pain. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They hit me with the morphine, bro. And like, I, like we've talked about, like, I don't, I don't like opioids right. at all whatsoever. And I felt that warm sensation and I felt the pain fade away and I felt the fuzzies, but I felt an automatic disconnect. I was disconnected from myself. Mm. I was disconnected from a higher power. Mm. I was disconnected from my community and I was terrified. Yeah. I was, I was terrified, dog. Yeah. I thought, you know, this is over. This is like, I'm floating out at space yeah. here. How did I ever live like yeah. this, bro? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, no wonder I needed to stuff every right. piece of intoxicating material in me that I could feeling like this. No, hell no, bro. I can't live like this no more. So I had somebody come from the sober house. And pick my ass up and take me directly back. You know what I'm saying? Because I didn't trust myself in no Uber. Mm -hmm. I didn't trust myself not to hit a trap house on mm -hmm. the way home. Like, see it. Because there's, you know, where we had our sober house, there's a million trap houses yeah. there. You know what I'm That's saying? That's crazy. That's how usually most uh, chem-free houses are. Yeah. They're right in the hood, right by all the trap houses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I, you know, I and I did not leave the property for you know, like a week and a half. And I went to a meeting a day, at least if not two, three meetings a day, I just posted up because we had a meeting hall right there at our, yeah. at our house, uh, the Mike fine hall in Daytona beach. And, uh, I would sit there through every meeting that I could. And, uh, when they'd say burning desire, I'd be like, I'm, I had morphine in my system and I'm really pissed off about it. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to go to every meeting that I can until I feel my higher power again. And I need y'all to give me support. Because I'm terrified right now. And yeah. I just blurted out as fast as I could. I'm yeah. like, I'm terrified. Like, I need y'all. Somebody please help me feel connected. And every time they, you know, they, they pour love on me. They pray for me. They do whatever they could do. And, and finally, I started to feel my ground again. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. it was a process. And I was truly 100% scared because I didn't want to lose it, bro. Yeah. Not just because I had all this legal stuff hanging in the balance. Because I like, when you look at my exposure on the cases since there were multiple cases out of multiple counties when you add up all the exposure because one of the judges did for me he said you know what's hanging in the balance if if you mess this up 104 years if you run this wild you know 
run it all maximum sentencing uh, with, you know, concurrent and or consecutive yeah, instead consecutive. of concurrent. He's like, you're looking at 104 years. And he said, and I wouldn't flinch to give it to you, boy. He, and, and I believe him. Like, that's how yeah. them, them Florida judges are. He's yeah. like, boy, make my day. Yeah. Make, make, my, make my whole week yeah. better, bro. Please. I'll go home <laughs> rock hard to my wife if I can sentence you to 104 years. Oh All you got to do is fuck up. Give it to me, boy. I want it. Yeah. And like, I'm so, you know, it wasn't even that, bro. Because like, honestly, for me, I was more free, incarcerated, and sober than I was on the streets, free and out of my mind enslaved to these little pills, powder. I can definitely shards. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like the freedom, the freedom inside, because I don't really like to get loaded when I'm inside. Right. I, it's not an environment that I feel comfortable being. No, loaded not in, at bro. all. I don't like getting loaded in jail. I don't like getting loaded in prison. I don't like getting loaded in sober houses. I just I like, yeah. I've tried it a few times and, and I hated every second of yep. it. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'll just ride out. And I knew that I would be freer in there than I would be on the streets if I relapsed. Yep. I wasn't yep. I wasn't terrified of going to prison. I was terrified of continuing to live the way that I had lived. Because when the Secret Service threw me on my face on that hot pavement in, in that parking lot of the Hilton Garden Inn, yeah. I breathed a breath of relief because I knew that it was over and yep. I didn't have to live that anymore. And I was so miserable. It was about a month before that that I had tried to end my own life. And I was doing better in the game than I ever had before. I had stacks of money, stacks of cards. You know, girls wasn't nothing to me. Like, I literally, right. didn't, I just lost interest, bro. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> right. Like, there's hot-ass girls throwing themselves at me. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't got time for you. I got to get more money. I got to get more, you know, I got to get more weight. I got to get more this. I got to get more that. You know, first we got to get. More, more, more. Yeah, more, more, more. But yeah. more stopped filling the hole. Yeah. And I felt the hole. Yeah. And I was empty inside. And, like, nothing made me feel anything except more hollow and empty the more i got the more i needed and it didn't do nothing for me anymore yeah. so i tried to end it because i didn't see any other way out bro yeah. and i didn't want to do 30 years in prison and then once i actually sobered up i was like man i would rather do 30 years in prison sober than continue to run out here on the streets mm -hmm. doing what i'm doing mm -hmm. at what level of desperation is it where 30 years of prison look good yeah you know what I'm saying, dog? That's up there. Prison's yeah. miserable. How many yeah. times have you been to prison? I've been twice. You've been twice? You know yeah. exactly what I'm talking yeah. about, bro. You yeah, got to be really spiritually dead Yeah. to, yeah. to feel like that's a better option yeah. than being on the streets in yeah. any type of condition. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen people, too, like that I was locked up with, <clears throat> and that was their way of living. Like, they didn't care. They, you know, so a, lot of, a lot of these guys will go in. And they know the, the program, the routine, and then they find them a boy. I mean, here we got a dog program. You can get a dog. They get people to put money on their books. They get a hustle in there. They get a job, and they have a little family and a life. For me, that's not, that's not what I want. You know what I'm saying? And I think, I think I can say that now because back then, just like you, I didn't give a fuck. Like, please, let it be over. Put me somewhere where I don't have the option to continue to use and abuse myself but to me like i found purpose and i believe if an addict finds purpose they're unstoppable yeah absolutely unstoppable i think uh, us addicts have a certain way of thinking and processing things and if we can change that addiction into a healthy addiction into a purpose into fulfillment 
we, we change lives, we help others, and we, we shine. Like our true light comes out. But we have to seek and we have to look for, for the answer of who am I in order to be able to fulfill that. Well, for me, the thing was connecting that like now I have a purpose and there's actually a meaning to the 20 years that I spent yeah. spun out in chaos, Absolutely. walking damage, like literally a literal yeah. walking crime spree. People are like, you were a bad criminal because you got, I got caught for less than 1% of the stuff that I was doing, bro. I was a walking <laughs> felony right. spree everywhere right. I went, bro. I was always on that lick, dog. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it was garbage. It was trash. And the only thing that puts meaning to all that damage that I caused, all the chaos, all the suffering of myself and everyone else is if I use that to be able to help other people out of that place. Right. Or to avoid that place in the first mm -hmm. place. You know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. that's why social media is so important to me because it allows me to reach a much larger scope of people that yeah. I would never be able to meet. Bro, if it wasn't for social media, I would not be sitting here in Arkansas right. talking to you right. after a peer support conference right. where I just got to talk in front of, you know, all those people at the conference yeah. and all those people at the bridge event, the overdose yeah, event. That was beautiful. You know what I'm saying? I have been able to connect with people in New Zealand, people in Australia, people in UK, people in Canada, people in places that I can't go yeah. because I'm a felon. Yeah. I'll never be able to go to Australia. I'll never be able to go to Canada again in my life because I'm a felon, right. but I can reach out and I can touch people there right. because of social media. And yeah. that's, that's perfectly aligned with my purpose that yeah. I have. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That gave me chills just hearing that because I feel like my purpose aligns with the same same purpose that you're fulfilling too. You know, not that my purpose is your purpose, but you know, my my purpose is to help others to use my experience for the for the better of other lives because it betters my life. I think we were talking earlier before we started and we were talking about how we're all connected. And everything that we do is for somebody else, but in return, it helps us as well. And so it's really not selfless because it, it's for us. Mm -hmm. And if we, what we do for someone else, we're actually doing for ourselves, And what we do for ourselves, we're actually doing for someone else. Well, and make no mistake when I say this, my man, like <clears throat> we have different paths to our purpose, but I do believe that our purpose is very, very similar because yeah. What's going on right now in this country with with the opioid and the overdose epidemic, yeah. bro? Like this is our Vietnam. This yeah. is our World War Three. It's right here, right now. It's killing people in the hundreds of thousands, and it's not discriminating. This isn't just those people on the street that normal people look at and they write off as trash or throwaways or homeless or junkies. This is happening in schools. This is happening to people in colleges all the way down to middle school. Bro, there were people, there were three little girls that were in literal middle school. They were 12 and 13 years old who got a hold of a bag of something in Daytona Beach last Thanksgiving, and two of them died on the floor of their bedroom in their parents' house, and the other one barely made it through. And what do you think her life's going to look like knowing that she survived that unless she has peer support? from people right. who've been through that, right. who can walk her through that trauma. Right. And that's just one story out of literal hundreds of thousands of overdoses. Every single year, it's the number one killer in men between the ages of 16 and 38 in this country. And if it was any foreign entity doing those kills, oh, causing those deaths, we would be at war. So this is yeah. our war. This is yeah. our generation's war. Yeah. So we might not have the exact same path to our purpose, but I think our purpose is to help others who have been 
or who are where we have been by using our story and our voice and our experience and just like more than anything, our love, but the recovery community needs to get together. We yes. need to unify yes, we and we do. need to stop picking scabs at each other about how the other person recovers. Yeah. Because like myself, I'm, I'm, I'm full abstinence. Yeah. And that's, that's what I need. I yeah. need full abstinence. But if I'm like trying to make myself feel better about my recovery because by somebody else's recovery, yeah. because they use cannabis or because they use Matt, then I'm not fully in recovery, bro. Right. That's not real right. recovery. If I have to make myself feel good by picking apart somebody else's recovery and I'm like, Flaboxing's not sober, bro. Yeah. That's a bag of dicks, bro, yeah. coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Judging other people like yeah. that. Whatever saves their lives, <clears throat> we need to get with, bro. Yeah. We have to use every single tool it available to us in our bat belt to be able to save other people's yes, lives. We do. Otherwise, we are purposefully damaging other people to make ourselves feel self-righteous, and I can't abide that. Yes, yes, we do. I agree with all of that. Man, that's that's good. That is so good. Yeah, I think the I think the world needs to hear somebody explain it like you just did. It's because you know I've caught myself judging others for the way that they are getting clean mm-hmm. in the past, you know, and and I look at that and I'm like, hold up, hold up, I got to self-reflect. Why am I doing that? What is it about me that's making me put judgment on someone else? Because obviously it's a reflection of myself onto that situation. So I have to dig down and I have to do more self-work and I have to find out what the truth is and not what the perception is and and the illusion is. I see it a lot more with the old timers. You know, the dudes who got 20, 30 years clean, sips a coffee, hits a cigarette, tells somebody they're not sober because they're on mental health meds prescribed by a doctor uh, mental health conditions that they don't even have a literal understanding of right. what they are. Right. They don't have the nearest idea of, of the neuroscience behind it. Yeah. But they're telling them that because they follow a doctor's directive with a mental health med that keeps them from having a psychosis, sips coffee, hits cigarette, you yeah. know, chain smokes a pack a day. And yeah. I'm not judging them for sipping coffee and, and, and smoking, smoking cigarette. cigarettes. Right. I'm judging them for judging the other person. Right. Here's me, bro. Yeah. Energy drink, vape, you know what yeah. I'm saying? But like, I'm not judging them for how they recover. I'm judging them for casting judgment and belittling and stigmatizing and shaming another person who's dying from the same disease that they are if they don't have a proper right. program of recovery. Right. And it's a daily program, dog. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like Just the second today. that yeah. I start to stagnate in my program, I'm done, bro. Yeah. I, if I'm not moving forward, I'm falling backwards. Absolutely. Because like, how long does it take you to build up a tolerance to your DOC, dog? Yeah. <laughs> not long you know what i'm saying yeah. like maybe a week at the yeah, most like yeah. if you started right now you might be able to use the same amount of that substance for a week before you got to start yeah. you know at least doubling, doubling tripling yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah. how long does a workout regiment work for you before you got to start doing something else like scientifically seven weeks at the absolute yeah, most say, before you have to start changing it up yeah. to keep effectively growing Add and our, weight, our recovery yeah. program has to be the same absolutely we have to keep moving forward we have to keep adapting we have to keep learning and doing new things because if we're not moving forward we're falling backwards bro yeah like we have to be able to switch it up and so like every like that's why i I work multiple pathways Mm -hmm. bro like if i I have some nights where i might want to hit one of the two uh 12-step programs that i work meeting and then i might the other night i might want to hit one of those meetings uh and i'm always baseline using smart bro the, the tools to of smart go, recovery is is are pretty amazing so i want you to kind of go a little bit more into detail about 
what is smart recovery? Because I feel like a lot of people have not ever heard of that. So smart recovery is science-based. It's evidence-based. It's based on the psychology of substance use disorder and disarming some of our thinking errors and the ways that we have negative patterns that are self-destructive in our lives and how we can better those, those thought processes by breaking them through repetition because we need repetition dog. Like you have 20 years of bad habits and bad thinking processes in your brain. It's going to take you a while to break those. Mm -hmm. It's not just a one off bro. So they give you tools. There's multiple tools. And like my favorite is like a cost benefit analysis. They call it the CBA. So like if I have a major decision to make, uh, or something that, you know, I know requires some, some decent thought process, I'll break it down. And what a CBA does is it breaks down. What is this going to cost me long-term and short-term? What is this going to benefit me long-term and short-term? So like I'll run my groups when I, when I work outpatient intensive outpatient groups, I'll run them through these tools a lot, bro. I'm heavy with the, with the, uh, cost benefit analysis. So like if I were to go out tonight and drink, what would my benefits be? Well, it's a social lubricant and I have social anxiety, so it's going to make me feel like I'm more at place. Yeah. That's a benefit. Let's not lie. Let's never lie to ourselves about what substances do. So it's in the short term, it's going to, it's going to make me feel like I'm connected and I have a place. Uh, I can dance better. I'm Irish as hell. Don't know if y'all can tell. I don't dance unless it's fueled by whiskey. (laughs) And then I still look ridiculous. Uh, But, you know, I feel like I can do it, you know? Okay, so that maybe that's a short-term benefit. You know what I'm saying? But then if you look at the costs on it, like it's going to be financially cost wasteful. It's going to cost me, like, it's going to put my freedom at risk because, like, I'm on probation. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm not allowed to be drinking. Um, It's going to put my health at risk. There's going to be, you know... uh, serious health repercussions for it because once i start i don't stop yeah you know what i'm saying once i start i don't stop uh it's gonna affect my mental health bro like drinking i think a lot of people think that they just go out and drink and then they don't like have repercussions later on because like they don't end up like in a ditch with a needle in their arm but like there's serious mental health repercussions for a lot of us bro a lot of us um on the come down from alcohol You know, you don't just get that hangover and you throw up and then it's over, bro. Like, I, personally, myself, I'll speak in I statements. I feel like shit physically and, and emotionally and mentally for a while after yeah. that. Yeah. It, it has a serious detrimental effect on me. And so you, you take those two benefits and you could probably run it out a little farther than that. And they're short term, but you take the uh, you take the 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 cost of it. And what you're risking, and those are all like much longer term things. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but if I go out and have a couple drinks, it's not going to stop at a couple drinks. I'm going to have a couple Coors Light. I'm going to grab myself a a fifth or a half gallon of JMOs. I'm gonna polish that bitch off. You know what I'm saying? And and uh, I'm gonna and I'm, I'm gonna spend a whole paycheck in a night, and then some stranger is gonna come up and he's gonna be like, "Hey, you want to go in my, the bathroom and sniff my keys?" And I'm gonna be like, yeah. "Give me that." Yeah, I'm going to do that whole bag and then I'm going to remember why I hate Yayo, bro, because I'm not in middle school and then I'm going to be hitting the plug and I'm going to be trying to get an announce. But these days, uh, the go fast has the go dead in it. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't even go all the way. I don't know why they would be mixing. Why would it make sense logically to mix something that people crave that makes you go fast with something that makes you go slow? unless you're doing it because you purposefully know that it's more addictive, it's cheaper and it'll enslave somebody. They're trying to create slaves to these substances. It's not just something that's a byproduct 
of these, these substances anymore. They're putting fent in everything because they want to get you snared. Yeah. And they want to make you a slave. Yeah. Because they know that you're powerless with yeah. it. Yeah. It's you all know, about money. When, when, yeah. when back when I was selling ounces of, of meth, bro, it wasn't about trying to make people slaves. Like I, we, we all were just doing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's intentional with fentanyl. They yeah. know what they're doing. They yeah. know what they're putting out there. They yeah. know that they're going to ruin lives. They know that there's a high likelihood that they are going to kill people and they do not care. It's chemical warfare, bro. It is. You can't it tell is. me that it's not chemical warfare. It is. it is. And it's chemical warfare because it's killing children too. Just it's, like you were talking about the 13 year old girls down in Florida finding a little baggie and then dying on their floor. And then the one girl having to go through that and still going through that to this day, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know this little girl and I don't know what she's experiencing right now, but I can only imagine how it would make me feel of going through something like that. That's it's it's horrible. It's horrible. And going to that overdose uh, awareness walk just it really made me. I can't even use the word understand. It made me feel the pain that our country is suffering from and especially the state of Arkansas, because that's who I'm surrounded by with the peer work that I'm involved in. But it's killing so many people. I was walking on that bridge and there were so many people out there supporting this walk. The bridge was swaying and people were starting to walk back because they were scared. But as I was walking under the purple lights, I'm looking and there are just banners of people that this, this, this chemical warfare has killed. It wasn't just, just, it wasn't even people, man. It was children, children, it was children. Absolutely. There were thousands of faces Absolutely. of children that have been ripped out of the it's opportunity so of having a life so sad because they were like bro paint it what it is bro fentanyl yeah. is poison yeah it is it, people are it being is. poisoned you know what i'm saying like people are being killed through poisoning and it's yeah. it's happening to children in record numbers and there was an entire bridge like i wish that i could explain to the audience the depth of of and meaning behind that bridge being lined with children's faces this is a huge bridge it's a long bridge yeah. Uh, all the way across the Arkansas river. And I'm talking about pictures this big of children and there's thousands and thousands of them and the palpable weight and energy. You know what I'm saying? Like I went to the, uh, I went to the nine 11 Memorial and I I thought that was heavy. I thought that that carried weight and like, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from that tragedy. That was horrible. But like, how many lives did we lose in that? 6,000. We, we, we losing it was a couple of years ago. We were only losing a hundred thousand a year to this overdose epidemic. And now we're reaching like 140, 160,000 this year. So sad. So I'm not trying to take anything away from, from that, but like you could feel a palpable depth and energy and weight at this event. When you were looking at the victims of these poisonings and it broke my heart Yeah, because you know, anybody with any empathy can see that this isn't, just these people that society considers throwaways these are kids yeah these are somebody's big brother this, this is somebody's little up. sister this is somebody's daughter this is this is america yeah this is an attack on america yeah period this is yeah. our war of our generation and we're not going to win it by arresting people we're going to win it by people like my boy here brian by people like me by people like you each and every one of you out there watching this, you have the power to do something about this. Even if you are not a person who's a peer, if you've never struggled 
with substance use disorder, you can, you can do something about it by changing your perspective and by breaking down the stigma for others. You can help yes. others educate themselves. And education is the opposite of stigma. People are on the wrong side of history with this when they want to castigate and stigmatize people who are fighting a medical condition. This yes. is a disease. Everybody wants to say it's a choice. It's not a disease, bro. I'm so tired of that, bro. We are in 2023. <laughs> Y'all, if you really if that's really the argument that you want to have, who fucking cares? Right. People are dying. Yes. Where is your fucking heart at, man? Yes. So if we can educate people and break down that stigma, even if you've never and, and like honestly, bro, how many people haven't had somebody in their life that is affected at this point? Fuck. There, Whether I it's don't a, see any, I don't see any family being out there that hasn't dealt with any kind of addiction or alcoholism or or any of that. Like it's there's so many of us, and there's so many people that are hiding it that just like you and I that won't admit to it for so long, and then they look back and they say, you know what, I'm fucking powerless. I need fucking help. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, it, it it's just it's so sad, man. It's it, that it breaks my is fucking what keeps heart. us in hiding, though. Yeah. That stigma is what keeps people uncomfortable asking for help. And you might be out there watching this right now, and you might think that it'll never happen to you, never happen to nobody <laughs> that you know, and it could be your son or daughter right now, and they're hiding because of yes. your fucking attitude yes. about people with substance use disorder and the way that you speak about people that you pass on the streets and cast judgment on them. Yep. Your kids might be watching. Your best friend might be yep. watching. Your husband, your brother, your sister might be watching. And they might be marking in their brain, okay, this person is not a safe person to talk to right. when I need help. They're afraid. And you might lose yeah. the opportunity to save the life of somebody that you love because you made yourself feel a little better by talking about that fucking junkie over there. Yep. And that's what it is, man. We yep. need to turn the tide on that shit. Yeah. When we turn the tide on the stigma, we're saving lives. Yeah. Quit judging and start helping. Absolutely. Yeah. Be open-minded. Understand that there are people suffering because of people that are placing judgment on those that are looking at people and looking at their outer appearance and, and, and just putting that, that spell over them that they, they can't get away from. I hate it. And I know that we've run pretty long on this, but I just want to end this real quick with, with one thing, man, I know I'm long winded. I'm Irish. Thank you for it's putting okay. up with me, man. It's but okay. um, We talked in the beginning of, of, about, you know, the type of teacher that Jesus was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, ask yourself, who would Jesus be out here ministering to? Whether you believe in the Bible, believe in God or whatever, Jesus was a radical ass dude. He was a radical teacher. He was out there, yeah. you know, helping the poor, <clears throat> helping prostitutes, helping thieves, changing their lives, flipping tables over, bro. Who do you think Jesus would be ministering to if he was here today, right now? And then ask yourself what you're doing when you see somebody who's suffering from substance use yes. disorder. Man. Yes. That's all. Yes says uh, um I'm not sure if this is word for word out of the bible but jesus said love love your love god with all your heart love your neighbor as yourself mhm mm absolutely my favorite you know it's a real simple it's three lines and, and like honestly that's everything out of the bible could go for me except for these three words bro my favorite scripture is God is love. God is love. God yeah. is love says it pretty much yeah. all, man. Like when you think about it, like that is it. That that for me, the whole rest of the book is is cool. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot I mean, of good there's stuff. a lot of killing yeah. kids and weird shit in there <laughs> yeah. and everything. But like 
when it comes down to it, bro, like God is love does it for me. Yep. Like that does it for me. That's what it is. You know, that that's the that's my higher power. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cuz there's nothing that feels better than love. Mhm. Yeah. That's good, man. JD, I'm so thankful that you came on the show and you took your time to do this and I just I can't thank you enough, man. You're you're a blessing to not only uh my life but you are a blessing to many lives, the state of Arkansas for coming and speaking at the peer conference and, and just giving away everything you have for free. I mean, and, and I know that by doing that, God is going to give you so much. In return. And I'm so, I'm truly thankful for you and everyone else out there that has the same attitude and mentality that people like you. Well, I'm just going to throw this out there to you, bro. Like you guys relit my fire, the passion that you guys have for recovery out here and the way that you guys are moving in unity. Yeah. I have not seen in any other community and you guys relit my torch brighter than it's ever been lit before. And I'm going back to a place where they're downtrodden, bro. They're beat. They're yeah. fucking beaten Oregon right now, yes, man. Sir. Like they passed these laws that I believe in breaking down the stigma and not making somebody a felon for the medical symptoms of the disease that they have. What do people with substance, uh, substance, uh, use disorder do they possess drugs motherfucker yeah. that's what they do bro yeah. that's what they that's why they have the disease yeah. it's one of the symptoms so what what are you gonna do we're gonna make them a felon you're yeah. gonna brand them for life they'll never be able to get yeah. a job they'll never be able to get a house you know we're yeah. gonna we're gonna put a big old fucking scarlet s on the top of yeah. their head for the rest of their life i believe in breaking that down but where they have fallen short is i don't see the services that they've talked about having and i'm going back to oregon to try to get a more unified front on building those services in my local community where we need them and hopefully bring people together the way that Arkansas has already paved the path for y'all, yeah. y'all doing the work out here, bro. Yeah. And it's beautiful to see. So thank you guys yeah, for it. inspiring me. Love it. Thank you so much. Well, that wraps up our episode for the Dirtbag Chronicles. Thank you very much. If you endured the entire process of this show, we hope you gained something from it. And don't forget to check us out on uh, TikTok. What's your TikTok name? JD Delay 5150. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Y'all have a good night.